You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon, The Great Tribulation, is part two of the series, Begin with the End in Mind, shared by Senior Pastor Dan Spencer. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, please find Matthew chapter 24. And I'm so glad you're here today. that We get to share this time together. It's important that we do this. And uh, so it's been good just today being together, uh, seeing each other across the room, down the row, singing together. And uh, thanks a lot uh, to our band. Man, so many dedicated people there. And uh, we're grateful Uh, y'all for your uh, sacrifice of praise today. Uh, Well, we began last week a uh, something new, a series of sermons I'm calling Begin with the End in Mind. And uh, we're looking at what Jesus taught his disciples about the future and the end times. And it's found in Matthew chapters 24 and 25. Uh, We're just uh, spending a couple of months breaking that down and and seeing what Jesus was talking about when he talked about the end of all things. Uh, when we get to Matthew 24, we find Jesus at uh, really the end of his earthly ministry. He's just a few days from going to the cross. And, and he sits down on the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem is there uh, in a panoramic view in front of them. And Jesus begins to talk to his disciples about what is coming. And, uh, you know, I think that Jesus knew he is very soon going to leave them, send the Holy Spirit to direct them, but he won't be present any longer. He was going to leave his uh, disciples to do the work that he has in the world of sharing the gospel, spreading it across the earth, and uh, and planting churches and discipling people into his kingdom. And so uh, I think Jesus just wanted the disciples to have on their mind at the beginning of their ministry the end of all things and and what he had planned for the end. And so here at the beginning of the year, uh, we're getting some perspective on that as well. And uh, and I hope it's going to help you and challenge you. Because uh, what I'm preaching from here is traditionally uh, some of the hardest scripture for pastors like me to preach. And so uh, I know I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I do think I have a word from God for you today from this passage. And so you pray for me as I I try not to wreck it as I get it out, okay? So um, as we go to Matthew 24 again... Uh, Let me repeat something I said last week about the future and prophecy and things like that. Uh, There are two basic ways that people in the world look at the future, all right? Most of the world sees the future as something that is unknown, unknowable. Nobody knows how this crazy world is going to turn out. And so the future becomes something that Many people in our world fear and they dread the future. That's why so many people today uh, are, are turning in, in this resurgence of, of astrology. They're turning to horoscopes to, 
help them to discern what's going to happen in the future. It's all worthless. It's, it's, uh, it's not the place to go. But, but people do that because they dread the future. It's something that's unsettling to them. They're just looking for answers. Uh, but God never meant for us to be afraid of the future or to dread it. Uh, but instead, uh, to look at the future the way that Jesus taught his disciples here. And that is the future is something that is not unknown because God knows it all. The future is something that is ruled and controlled by God. And God has a plan that is unfolding for the future under his sovereign direction. God has a destination in mind for where this crazy world is going in the future. And, and so here's what he wants us to do. To live with his perspective on the future. And if we do that, I'm telling you, we're going to be able to live in the present with less anxiety and a lot more clarity, and it's going to uh, inform how we're supposed to live right now because we have clarity on what's going to happen way out there in the future, okay? So this is the perspective we're looking for today. The disciples asked Jesus in verse 3, what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so Jesus told them, Uh, about what's going to happen in the end. In fact, he used those words that the disciples asked, what's the sign of the end of the age? And Jesus talked about the end. The Greek words he used were uh, ta telos. And and that's a reference in Jesus' terminology there for the series of events that happens at the end of human history as we know it when Jesus returns. So we're talking about the second coming of Christ, the end times, all of these prophetic things, and specifically the, that time when Jesus returns and brings to an end, to a total conclusion, the era of human history of, of mankind's rebellion against God and sin against God. Jesus is going to bring that to an end, and he's going to usher in a new era of righteousness and peace under his rule, King Jesus. Now, I have to tell you, as I begin to read here, we're going to break some of that down today and then again next week. Uh, I have to tell you that, and this is my disclaimer for the day, okay? Among Christians, there is a lot of discussion and disagreement as to what all that entails. When you're talking about the end times, the second coming of Christ, the, the specific order of all of those events. Uh, and here's something to keep in mind as we read this prophetic section, okay? Uh, there is a lot uh, that we would like to know about the future and, and about what Jesus says here. But when you read prophecy in Scripture, just understand... God gives revelation about the end times on a need-to-know basis. And apparently, there are a lot of things we don't need to know. We would like to know the specific date and a chart that has all of the events that are coming next. Uh, But evidently, there's a lot we don't need to know about the second coming of Jesus. Because he doesn't give us those dates or 
detailed timelines. But what we do need to know, God has given us in his word. Now, it takes some study and some uh, synthesizing a whole lot of prophetic information in the Bible. Uh, You have to read, when you're reading prophecy, you have to keep open to other parts of the Bible and different books, Old and New Testament. Today, we're going to go back and forth between uh, Matthew 24 and 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And so be ready for that. Uh, uh, But God has given us what we need to know in his word. We don't need to know everything. Last week, uh, we began to read Jesus' answer. And we read that Jesus said in verses 4 through 14 that there are signs that will let us know that the time of the end is near. And he talked about several signs. A climate of war in the world uh, that, that just continues to get intensely worse and worse. Natural disasters that sort of pick up speed and, and get worse and worse. It's going to be the worst blank ever in the times that are ahead. Hurricanes, earthquakes, etc., Uh, severe persecution of Christians is another sign. Uh, We're going to see that more and more. Then he talked about massive apostasy as great numbers of people who say they are Christians began to walk away from the church and turn their back on Jesus and his word. And, And he mentions increasing wickedness in the world. And uh, how many of you know that those signs that Jesus talked about that I just mentioned, we're seeing a lot of them today. We really are. And it seems to be getting worse and worse. I think it's going to get a lot worse before the end comes. But the truth is we just don't know. It, It could happen at any time because we do see many of those signs. So this is how the followers of Jesus are going to know that God is about to pull the pin on some explosive world events. And uh, so let's read now the next part, beginning in verse 15. And you guys ready? All right, I don't know what other churches in town are doing today. Here's what I know. We ain't playing around today. We're going to dive deep. So uh, I told you last week, bring your spiritual floaties, and we're going to jump in the deep end. Here we go, verse 15. Jesus said, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house, and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or in the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, Lord, or look, here is the Christ or there, Do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, 
so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Now, there's a lot there. We're not going to be able to exhaust everything that Jesus uh, said right there in those words. And we'll have more even next week. Uh, but uh, Jesus is talking about the end times. And I believe, based on God's word, that there are uh, a few major events related to the second coming of Jesus that are next in God's plan. And uh, I, I want you to know, I hold those things loosely in my hand. I may be wrong, but I don't think I am. Uh, so you deserve to know what your pastor believes about this. And uh, so I'm going to tell you, if you and I disagree on some of the finer points here, uh, then at the end of this sermon, I'm going to bring us back to some things we can all agree on. So just, just hang in there. So here's what I believe are the next three events on God's prophetic calendar. Uh, this is the order I'm convinced of. First of all is the rapture of the church. Now, uh, for this, I'm going to go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I believe this is next on God's calendar. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 15 explains it this way. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this. He said, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. That is, those who are, uh, who are Christians who have passed away, their bodies in the grave, their spirit is with the Lord. He said, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Uh, so, you won't find the word rapture in what I just read, but the concept is certainly there. Uh, rapture is from uh, a Latin word, raptio, uh, that's been around uh, church lingo for uh, many centuries. And it translates the, the word in verse 17 in the Greek language, harpazo. Uh, that's a word that means to be caught up. It means to be stolen away secretly, quickly. And uh, so this is the word that the Bible uses for what's going to happen when, when God just snatches away all Christians, both dead and living, who make up the church of Jesus Christ of all ages. Everyone else will be left behind, and they will face the second event on God's calendar, and that is the great tribulation. Now, once the church is raptured, this is the way that I understand it, once the church is raptured out of the world and God snatches us away, evil will be unrestrained and God will pour out his wrath on the earth. For now, 
Many Christians, and even those who sort of hang around the edges of Christianity and and believe in the Judeo-Christian values that the Bible teaches, uh, have this uh, effect of, of restraining the evil that is in the world. I think about people like on the fourth row right here, Mark Newman, who goes all over America uh, talking to people about pro-life issues. It's people like Mark, people like our church, people like you, who, who are in a way restraining what the world and what the world system under the control of Satan would love to do, and that is whatever they want to. All the evil that the heart can conceive of, that's what our world would love to do. But for now, that is being restrained. I'm just saying uh, the indication is in Scripture, once the church is raptured out of the world, evil will be unrestrained and God will begin to pour out his wrath, his judgment on the earth. More about that in a minute. Uh, Let me say this, though. I do not think that Christians will be around for the great tribulation. Uh, Some people think that Christians will. Some think about half of the time they will. I don't think Christians will be here for any of it. Let me show you why uh, back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Uh, By the way, there's the apostle Paul saying, It's on a need-to-know basis when you're talking about end times. And there's some things, times, dates, you don't need to know. So I'm not going to tell you. Verse 2, he said, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, now he's talking to Christians here in the church, you brethren are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. And then down in verse 9, he said, For God did not appoint us, that is Christians, he did not appoint us to wrath, that is the pouring out of God's judgment against sin. For Christians, that already happened when Jesus hung on the cross and took our sins upon himself. When we place our faith in him, the judgment against our sins that Jesus endured on the cross is is accounted to us. And so uh, verse 9 says, God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, For that reason... I don't believe we're going to be a part of the wrath that God pours out on the earth during the great tribulation. We're going to be raptured. Uh, After the tribulation, number three, I think next is the return of Christ at the battle of Armageddon. Uh, The way I understand it from uh, prophetic scriptures from all over the Bible is that at the end of a seven-year period that is called the great tribulation, the Antichrist And a vast multinational army are going to gather to attack the nation of Israel at a place called Armageddon. Read about it in Revelation 16, verse 16. Then in Revelation 19, it's predicted Jesus will return 
at that time and easily conquer the Antichrist and his armies. In fact, the Bible says with the breath of his mouth, he's going to vaporize the Antichrist. And then according to Zechariah 14, Jesus is going to enter Jerusalem through the eastern gate and set up his kingdom on earth. This is going to conclude the age of humanity's sin and rebellion against God. And it's going to usher in uh, what's called the millennial or thousand year reign of Christ on earth. As I see it, those are the next things that happen. We can talk more about that a little bit later. Let me go back to the great tribulation. What do we know about the great tribulation? Well, we know this. Great tribulation, in in the language it's written here in Matthew 24, uh, flipsis megas, that is a great crushing or a great pressure on the world. Great tribulation is the term Jesus used in uh, verse 21 for a period of, of chaos and trauma unlike the world has ever seen. Revelation 7.14 calls it, with the definite article, the great tribulation. Uh, when you look at other prophetic scriptures like Daniel chapter 9, uh, Revelation chapters 6 through 18, you learn that the great tribulation... And most people agree on this. It's going to be seven years of incredible natural disasters and political upheaval as God just pours out his judgment on sinful mankind. In fact, within the first few years of the tribulation, one-fourth of the world's population will be gone in addition to all the Christians who have been raptured out of the world. In the midst of all of that And it's going to cause incredible chaos. In the midst of all of that chaos, a single world ruler is going to emerge. The Bible calls him the Antichrist. And and he's going to be a master politician that will do what no one has been able to do yet. And that is bring complete peace for a moment or two into the world. Everyone's going to look to him. And yet, he's going to be empowered by Satan, no doubt. Jesus told his disciples more about the great tribulation here in Matthew 24. Let me give you a few uh, items that he said. First of all, it will be a time of great deception. The tribulation will be a time of great deception. I believe verses 23 through 26 where Jesus said, When this happens, if you're anywhere close, you better run. If, If you're around Jerusalem when this happens... You you better run for the hills. And I believe that statement in verse 23 through 26 has some application for the Jews in 70 AD when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. But I think the long-range target for what Jesus said is for the future. For Jewish refugees after the rapture of the church who will be They're around Jerusalem in a state of panic and desperation when all of this hits. And they're going to be desperate for answers, for hope. Satan is going to provide a bunch of false answers through false saviors, false prophets. 
And they're going to confuse the people and deceive many of them. And so that's why Jesus said, if they tell you Christ is here or there, do not believe it. Many, however, will be deceived during the tribulation. And they're going to end up in their deception, dying without Christ, without salvation, and without hope. The Bible seems to teach that the deception is going to be the theme of about the first half of the Great Tribulation, about the first three and a half years. The second half is going to be characterized by a time of unparalleled trouble in the world. Jesus taught unparalleled trouble is coming in the tribulation. Now, uh, you read about this in verse 21 of Matthew 24. In verse 21, Jesus said, For them there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now, there have been, no doubt, some horrible times of war and death in human history, but the great tribulation is going to be a time of trouble on a whole other level. With the influence of Christians gone out of the world, evil and sin are going to run wild. Governments, politicians are going to go to the extremes in the most wicked directions possible. The natural world, we are told in Scripture, especially in Revelation chapter 16, which talks about these bowls of judgment that God will pour out during this time. The natural world is, it will seem to revolt in, in, uh, against all of this evil in the world with horrible natural disasters. In fact, everyone who is afraid of climate change is going to see their worst nightmares come true times a thousand during those days. Uh, everybody concerned about overpopulation in the world now is going to be horrified then as the population of the world shrinks at alarming rates. And verse 22, in fact, says this. Jesus said, unless those days were shortened, no flesh will be saved. In other words, it's going to be a time in the world of such horrible suffering that if Jesus did not step in and intervene, everyone on earth would die. And then a third uh, fact we learn here from Jesus uh, that can be a little confusing is uh, that the abomination of desolation, what in the world is that? The abomination, abomination of desolation will be a pivotal event in the Great Tribulation. We find this in verse 15, uh, possibly halfway through, three and a half years into the Tribulation, uh, there will be the abomination of desolation. Now, Jesus said, the prophet Daniel wrote about this. Uh, I talked about this extensively in the summer of 2020 as I preached verse by verse through the book of Daniel. You can go to our website and, uh, and listen to those sermons if you would like or if you have trouble sleeping at night. And, uh, and I talked a whole lot about it. Let me summarize in this way. The abomination of desolation is mentioned three times by Daniel in his book. And I think, this is me, I think it's going to be fulfilled three times. 
You say, how's that possible? Well, you know, sometimes when you're looking at a mountain range and all those mountains in the distance look close together, but if you got a bird's eye view from a overhead, you could see that they're actually, uh, they look like one solid mountain range, but actually they're pretty far apart, the individual peaks. In the same way, I think that's how we should look at the abomination of desolation. Uh, I think three fulfillments. The first was probably in 168 B.C. when a man named Antiochus Epiphanes uh, desecrated the temple in Jerusalem and left it desolate. Uh, You can go back and listen to that sermon from Daniel. The second fulfillment, I think, happened about 40 years from when Jesus was speaking in Matthew 24 in 70 A.D., when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans and the temple was torn down and left desolate. But there is a final fulfillment that is coming. An abomination that is something absolutely detestable and abhorrent in the eyes of God that will leave things desolate. Uh, There's a final fulfillment, I believe, that is coming. I'm going to read about this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4. Just listen. The Bible says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now that's a reference to the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And then verse 9 says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Here's what I believe that means. That about halfway through the great tribulation, in a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, the Antichrist is going to sit down and declare himself at that point to be the king of kings and the savior of the world, and he will demand to be worshiped. And if there was any doubt beforehand what his true identity was, this great politician, this is going to be the signal of his identity once for all, that he is in fact the Antichrist. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, verses 16 through 20, that if if you're anywhere close to Jerusalem, when that happens, you had better run because things are about to get a lot worse. All right, is everybody okay? That's a lot to take in, right? There's a lot there. And uh, and so I just want to bring this to a conclusion In this way. Because there are some people who hear things like what I've just said. And uh, and they they look at prophecy in the Bible. And they're like, I don't know. What does that have to do with what I'm trying to deal with in my life today? And so I'm going to give you uh, uh, an an answer to that. And and I'll phrase it this way. And and we're going to close with this. The question is, knowing what we know about what Jesus said in Matthew 24, even if you just read it and nobody commented on it at all, God's Word is powerful. And so knowing what we know about what Jesus said, what should we do 
now? That's the question. And uh, I'm going to give you a few answers, and and we're going to pray. Number one, and I believe very importantly, I think knowing what we know about what's coming in the end, we ought to rest in God's plan. Just rest in God's plan. Uh, These things that we've talked about, tribulation, rapture, the coming of Jesus, these things don't frighten those who have found their hope in Jesus Christ. Those of us who know the one who is in control of all the people who seem to be in control of the world today, those of us who know the one who crafted this plan for the future and is ensuring that it's all going to unfold according to his plan, we don't have to be afraid. Instead, all of this ought to point us to, to a place of of rest and assurance and confidence as we march into the future. And we ought to be able to just rest our minds and hearts in the fact that God has a plan to bring an end to all sin and evil once and for all and to deal with all the things that are wrong in the world. And we ought to just rest in the fact that nothing is going to happen in the future outside of God's plan. And that the timing of everything in the world, in the present, in your life, and in the future, it's all in God's hands. God is in control. We don't need to worry one bit about the future. In fact, a couple of days later, do you know what Jesus said to those same disciples? You can read it in John 16, Jesus said, look guys, I've told you all these things that in me you may have peace. Listen to what he said. He said, in the world, you will have tribulation. On some level, tribulation's coming into your life. People are going to walk out on you. People are going to die. You're going to get sick. Disasters are going to happen. Things you can't explain around you. Pressures that squeeze you to the point you think you won't make it. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But listen to what he said in the next breath. He said, but be of good cheer. Be encouraged. For I, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. And so here's what we ought to do. Every time we see bad news happen, every time we see governments doing crazy things, politicians out of control, threats of different things, disasters in the world, that ought to trigger us not to worry or to fear or to complain, but instead all those things ought to trigger us to just look up to heaven and say, thank you, God, that you have a plan for all this. And you're Lord over all. Every one of those things we hear, it ought to just trigger us to say, Lord, thank you. Because I know you have overcome the world. And in the end, we win. The future belongs to God and his people. And so we don't have any reason to be afraid. We can rest in the assurance that God has a plan One day Jesus returns, Jesus defeats sin and Satan, Jesus sets up his rule here on the earth, Jesus restores all that sin has broken, and we rule and reign with him forever and ever. Amen?
So we ought to rest in God's plan. Uh, Number two, what should we do knowing what we know? We ought to share the gospel while there's still time. Right now in 2023, we live in an age of grace where we can tell people with confidence, Jesus saves. Jesus forgives sin. Jesus loves you. Turn to him for salvation. Jesus will save you. We can tell people that news. That's the news the whole world needs to hear. And, And so the door of salvation is open right now. But there is coming a time that door is going to close. We won't have any more opportunities to share the gospel with our lost family members, our lost friends, students at school, people on our team, people at work. That door is closing and there will come a time when it's all going to be over. We won't have any more chance to share the gospel. That's why I say... Right now, there ought to be an urgency in us to share the gospel while there is still time. And along with that, to uphold righteousness around us in the world as we read it in God's Word. And then finally, uh, what should we do now? If you never have before, you, you ought to come to Jesus for salvation. Listen, I think I can tell you on the authority of God's Word this morning, you don't know that you have a tomorrow. You don't know that you'll have another chance. You don't know when Jesus is going to return and it'll all be over. And so, uh, come to Jesus for salvation. Time is ticking away. And the time is now. To make a decision for him. All right, let's stand together. And will you join me in prayer? Our pastors are going to come and take their place here. Be ready to pray with anybody who might come. And we want to be here to help you and and to share with you today. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I, I hope I've done a good enough job that you've just taken the feeble words of this preacher and communicated truth today. And I thank you for that truth that we don't have to be afraid. If our trust is in you, Lord, you're going to take care of it all. You have a plan. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you would deliver us from worry and fear and complaining help us to just put our eyes on you and rest in your plan God I pray that you would light a fire in our hearts to tell people that there is a way of salvation there is forgiveness of sin there's hope God, help us to be faithful, to be urgent, to be clear about sharing the gospel while there is time. And Lord, I pray for a sense of urgency 
in the hearts of some today who are still lost in their sin. And God, I pray that today would be the day that they come to Jesus and they're saved. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.